would say product selling is pretty common in what you see with B2B SaaS. It really focuses on the features and the functionality of software. And it's, it's about really addressing the direct pain points and the current needs that you see with, um, with your buyer. But vision selling is a lot more focused on the long-term strategic value and what I would call like the transformative impact of the software and like what, what that does to a customer's business. So it's much more about the broader vision and how it aligns more with like a customer's overall success and their future aspirations. So product selling is is a specific, like this is a problem and here's how we're gonna solve it. Solve it. But vision selling is like a lot more, we're gonna solve problems you didn't even know you have. Welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance and hosted by me, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I pull insights from some of the world's most talented product marketers who uncover the secret sauce of successful product marketing. In this episode, I'm joined by Erica Dingman, Senior Product Marketing Manager at Movable Inc. Before moving into product marketing, Erica spent the bulk of her career in the advertising world across a variety of roles. Today, Erica and the team at Movable Inc. are empowering marketers with scalable, omnichannel personalization through data activation and AI decisioning. During our chat, Erica walks me through the difference between vision selling and product selling. She overviews how taking that approach, along with a handful of other unique enablement techniques, has helped her set up the sales team for success when selling custom AI solutions. All right, with that out of the way, let's dive in. Hey, Erica, how's it going? Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Very excited to have you on the show today. I'm excited to be here. Awesome, well, let's get into it then. I think it'd be great if you could start by giving our listeners an overview of your career so far and what it is you do today as Senior PMM at Movable Inc. Sure, um, okay, so... I have been in product marketing for about six years now. Um, Before that, I used to work in advertising. I've worked on the publisher side. I've worked on the agency side. Um, So I've had a a long storied career in that. Um, But I was really excited to make the transition to product marketing. And I think that's uh, sort of an interesting story in itself, but I'll save that for later. Um, Now that I'm at Movable Inc., I get to work in AI. I get to work with a ton of enterprise clients. I would call myself a full stack marketer. And it's just been a really cool place to be for the past, I don't know, three years almost. Very cool. And yeah, we'll we'll dive into what it's like being a product marketer in the world of AI at the moment in a little bit. But before we do, I want to ask you a follow-up question just based on your experience. And I'm sure longtime listeners will probably see this question coming from a mile away, but Given your experience in advertising, product marketing, you know, I myself spent a very brief amount of time in advertising uh, as well. Just curious, what are some of the skills or experiences that you took away from being in the world of advertising that you felt, you know, may have made you a stronger PMM today? That's a good question. I think, um, well, one thing that I guess really occurred throughout my career is like when I was on the agency side, I started in television and that was in 2013. And obviously the internet was in full swing by 2013, but advertising wasn't quite as robust or as measurable as it is today. And so it was really cool to kind of be working on, I was working for um, Mondelez 
which covers like Oreo and Ritz Cracker and Trident and all of those brands and seeing how their ad dollars moved from television to mobile and parts of the internet and really seeing that switch and how much more uh, closely watched and monitored those ad dollars were and seeing how quickly, even in the midst of uh, really just like over one year or so, maybe even more, seeing how quickly things changed, um, I think really was quite eye-opening seeing how these behemoth brands were actually able to adapt and grow and change with this sort of revolution of advertising and transition to a new channel was really wild. So I think it taught me um, that I needed to be agile myself. I needed to learn. I needed to constantly keep up with what was happening or I was going to fall behind as well. So really being open to all of those changes and learning was was pretty critical even over 10 years ago. And obviously we're seeing that happening again today. So it's of course not just about advertising. It's really about like adopting uh, the changes that come with the technology. So I think that was a pretty important lesson for me. And obviously that wasn't the last time that happened. It happened every single year after that as well. And will continue to happen with that forever. Very cool. Yeah. And, and again, I, you know, I'm sure that experience lends itself quite nicely to the one that you're, you know, living through in the moment, you know, seeing this huge shift with, with AI and being everywhere, companies learning to adapt to this new and emerging technology. And again, we'll, we'll touch on that in my next question, but um, that's helpful. Um, you know, uh, product marketers, we tend to find ourselves in the midst of a lot of moving parts. And when industries go through these big shifts, like you said, you know, television going through the shift of going to online advertising, it's very easy to get caught up and, and, you know, get not carried away per se, but just like overrun with, with managing that change internally and externally. So I'm sure going through that has equipped you well for the role you find yourself in now. Uh, so prior to becoming a product marketer, you know, you, you mentioned you had this storied career and, you know, you spent some time as director of learning and development, which is a role I haven't seen many product marketers come from. So how do you think that's helped you become a better product marketer? And what were some of the transferable skills that made the switch, you know, more smooth than it could have been otherwise had you come from a different background? Sure. So I I do always kind of caveat that my title of director of learning and development isn't exactly what we know as director of learning and development today. I think this was like, I don't remember hearing about that title back in like 2016, I think, when I had it. Um, I worked at a company called Adoptly. They were a sort of a blend of a, a social media agency as well as um, building their own proprietary technology. They had some B2B SaaS arm, but a lot of the technology was in-house to help us run um, social media campaigns more smoothly and effectively. And that company uh, was about 150 people and really supportive and welcoming and cool. And I, I loved being a part of it. But the, the best part about working there was I had three different jobs. I was running some campaigns and I basically had them on autopilot and I was bored. And they were like, well, what, what else could, what, what would you like to be doing? And I started just finding different problems and trying to solve them within the organization. And as I started spending more of my time problem solving instead of running campaigns, 
they let me transition to becoming a project manager, which really had no specific scope at all. It was a very free form role where I got to do whatever I wanted as long as I was still making an impact. And from there, um, someone else on the customer success side also started to do something very similar. And as we started to team up more, um, we began, we found that one of the bigger problems in the organization was really enabling the different teams on all of the different changes that were happening with our partners. Um, and our partners were like Facebook and Twitter, uh, Pinterest, Snapchat, and they were changing their ad products very, very quickly. And there was a lot of stuff that our teams needed to keep up with. So we started helping enable these different teams on what was happening, not just at the partners, but in the industry. And it became a lot of account enablement, more so than sales enablement. But I would say that that was the, the majority of what we did. And when Adaptly got acquired by Accenture, we were in this purgatory where what we were doing didn't translate to Accenture exactly. And because those sorts of changes take many months, if not years, for an acquisition to go through, I had the opportunity to search in the organization to figure out where exactly I fit in, what I wanted. I couldn't find it. I started taking stock of what skills I actually had and what responsibilities I actually had. And I realized account enablement most closely resembled sales enablement, really translating technical uh, things that come from the marketer for our partners into a way that made sense for our sales team, our sales teams or account teams to take back to the work that they're doing. Um, and I realized that those responsibilities most closely resembled product marketing. And I wouldn't say it was easy to then convince somebody to give me a product marketing job. However, I was able to find a product marketing sales enablement specific job at Aircall. And I mean, I interviewed well enough that they gave it to me. And that was my first product marketing position. Very cool. Yeah. It, what you're describing, it, you know, it makes sense in hindsight how you find yourself in product marketing because even, you know, in your role, um, you were in search of a problem that needed solving, right? And I think that's an inherent trait of a lot of product marketers. We we are very good at, you know, observing and finding problems or opportunities that a product marketer could solve, um, which is why we tend to find ourselves as being so valuable and in the in the middle of so much at our organizations. Um and and I mean, I'm curious in that decision to pursue the role, role at Aircall, excuse me, um, had you considered pursuing exclusively like a sales enablement role in title or was there something about product marketing that really attracted you or, or did you make the conversation to say, no, I, I want to get into product marketing specifically? I'm curious what that thought process looked like at that time in your, in your career. I think it was a little bit of both. I do recall thinking that product marketing was like the ultimate dream position. So that was my North Star. So I couldn't have lucked out more in finding this position. However, I also remember thinking I needed to cast a wide enough net and sales enablement would have been suitable. But I knew that I wanted to be closer to the actual product as well. That was something that I felt like I got to do a lot at my time at Adaptly, especially because the technology was mostly used internally. So I felt like I could easily, instead of like, for instance, going to 
yep, customer feedback on how they're using the product, which is important, but sometimes hard to do. You could just walk up to a colleague and ask them how they're using the product and make changes or figure out how to talk about the product or the way that somebody's using it instead. So that was something I felt like I got a lot of pretty valuable experience in at Adaptly and something I wanted to do more of at my next organization. And I didn't think you could quite pull that off with just a sales enablement role. That makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Well, we've been kind of leading up to this question because it's come up a couple of times since we started chatting and it's, you know, the whole world you find yourself in today of, of, of AI. Um, you know, obviously it's been in the news. It's been all over LinkedIn for months now. Um, but you're the first person I've chatted with who actually has that, you know, hands-on in the trenches of AI experience. So I, I'm curious, it'd be great if you could help me understand what it's like being a product marketer at an AI-focused company. Yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm learning every single day and I'll learn something in the morning and it's just already on our product roadmap by the afternoon. So it's it's just wild how crazy um, innovation is really happening in the AI space. Um, I will say that at uh, Movable Inc., um, we acquired a company called Coherent Path, which is now DaVinci. And that's the part of the business that I work on. But that means uh, DaVinci has actually been this AI company long before we even acquired them. So AI is like embedded in our bones in that way. So it, it's kind of cool to have been a part of that before AI went completely mainstream with the rise of ChatGPT last year. Um, but at the same time, now everybody's catching up and we're all sort of learning together. Um, I will say that from the product marketing side specifically, one thing I noticed that really changed in the last year or so definitely related to the rise of ChatGPT was we used to have to explain a lot of how AI worked and what machine learning was. And it was really, really difficult to get people to sort of trust and accept that AI could do a lot of the really powerful stuff that we were doing. Um, for us, that's content decisioning and frequency optimization and send time optimization in email. But ever since ChatGPT became uh, a thing really popular, um, there's just this shorthand acceptance now. So I would say that's actually made my job a lot easier because we don't have to waste as much time trying to get people to buy into this concept of an AI-powered solution. They accept it and they're all on board. Like, yep, AI is the future. We're here. Let's let's move on. So now people want to spend more time um, learning about like the mechanics of how a solution works, which is definitely challenging because then you're you're going into these much more technical explanations. But I would say it's it's a little bit easier because people are approaching this with. Um, more more trust and acceptance now. Um, now I, I get to focus more on um, like the, the nuances of AI, like what, what kinds of AI matter. So when I look at our competitors, for instance, I might look at, okay, well, like what's white labeled versus like a homegrown solution? Is there AI providing a unique value? Like there's just a lot more interesting stuff to, to uncover now and also really understand how different businesses are responding to it. Then 
on the client side for because we work with these massive enterprise brands watching how they are responding to ai is also really interesting so like some of these brands are really comfortable with certain kinds of ai like predictive ai in particular i think is something that's really appealing to a lot of these brands but generative ai is more of a red flag so we need to be really careful in how we're positioning different kinds different elements of our ai and uh it's it's interesting seeing like which brands are responding in which ways so now one thing that i've learned is like trust and transparency are one of the most important aspects to an ai solution for these enterprise companies so like we've started to talk about how our solution is enterprise ready we don't commingle data client privacy is like our topmost priority and these are things that have kind of always been true for us but now we're realizing this is maybe something that we need to lead with in our messaging because now it's our clients top priority so there's you know there's a lot going on um, depending on what what angle you're looking at but uh it's it's exciting and and I'm definitely learning new things every single day about it yeah, I can only imagine. I think the whole world is also learning things, like you said, almost daily as well about AI and, and all its different facets. And I think what I love so much about you sharing that experience, and, and thank you for doing so, is that it really sounds like you're getting kind of a front row seat to seeing this category being created in real time. Um, and I can only imagine what that's like for you, again, seeing it firsthand, because I know as like an outside observer, it's just been a real fascinating, fascinating experience to just see, you know, AI as the top level category kind of it's been around forever, but like you said, with the emergence of chat GPT, excuse me, it's really become this like thing that your average person identifies. And then it sounds like, like you said, with predictive AI, gen AI, there's all these different subcategories emerging. And it's fun watching all these different companies find their place in those different categories and navigate them. And like you said, I think it's great that you've been able to identify so early on, you and your colleagues, what within your own subcategories are starting to resonate with your customers and what you need to lean into from a positioning and messaging exercise. So yeah, I, I can only imagine how well this experience will serve you, you know, 15, 20, 30 years in your career, because it's not often as a product marketer, you get that front row seat to category creation. I think that's kind of every product marketer's mecca. I think we often want to be the leaders of that category creation, but I can imagine just being just party to that and watching other players help build the categories. This is equally exciting. Yeah, it definitely is. Right on, right on. Cool. Well, let's shift gears ever so slightly. Still related to AI um, as it pertains to the work that you're doing um, at Movable Inc. But I want to just shift gears to our, our main topic of conversation today. And that's this idea of vision selling versus product selling. And it, it's not a concept that I myself have, have heard um, before You know, we started chatting about connecting today. Uh, so I want to spend some time there. Um, can you explain at a high level what those two approaches are and how they differ from one another? Sure. Um, I would say product selling is pretty common in what you see with B2B SaaS. It really focuses on the features and the functionality of software. And it's it's about really addressing the direct pain points and the current needs that you see with um, with your buyer. But vision selling is a lot more focused on the long-term strategic value and what I would call like the transformative impact of the software. 
and like what, what that does to a customer's business. So it's much more about the broader vision and how it aligns more with like a customer's overall success and their future aspirations. So product selling is, is a specific, like this is a problem and here's how we're going to solve it, solve it. But vision selling is like a lot more, we're going to solve problems you didn't even know you have. That makes a lot of sense. So if I could repeat that back to you, it's almost like product selling, like you said, we're, we're most familiar with it. It's, hey, these are the problems. We're going to help you solve them. And this is how you do your day-to-day will be improved because of our solution. Whereas with vision selling, it's saying, hey, this is how you used to do things. And now with this new solution, we're going to fundamentally change the way you do things moving forward. And all those problems that you thought you had yesterday, not only are going to be solved for, but you're going to experience new problems that bonus we can also help you navigate. Is that is that a fair you know assessment? Definitely. I mean, vision selling is also going to require you to sell the product. Like there's no way around that. Um, and you should be able to explain how a product can provide like immediate benefits and value. But you're absolutely right. Like vision selling is a new way of working. It is a new philosophy. And it's not enough to explain how your product fits into somebody's work or workflow vision selling is like a new way entirely. Like you have to start to think totally out of the box, totally different. And we're going to walk you through this journey together, hand in hand to the new way. Well, as a product marketer, how do you go about navigating that need to balance, again, addressing those current problems, but also selling this like grander long-term vision? Because like, uh, you know, when, when I've worked at organizations where we're in, you know, a one-to-one selling scenario with a specific buyer, it's easy to pinpoint from, again, a product selling perspective, what those problems are today uh, and, and just stay in the now. But if you have to do that while also selling this grand vision for the future, I'm sure there's just some like inherent challenges in doing that and throwing the needle. Is that something that you have to cater to each specific client that you're, or prospective buyer you're selling to? Or is there a general approach that you found that has worked? What does that look like? So it definitely requires really talented sellers. That's for sure. <laughs> but it's, it's both. I mean, at Movable Inc., we just do so much customization anyway, because again, we're we're working with these really big brands that just require that like white glove touch and experience. So we're we're definitely customizing a lot. But I do think there's like a central narrative that really works for us. Um it it starts with, of course, recognizing that like we we do solve a problem. So in in our instance, we work um, in email and we recognize, I think like most products, we're trying to help you make more money. Like there's more revenue to be had. You're leaving money on the table. But there's also other issues that are forcing you to leave money on the table. It's not just that we can do things better or faster than our competitors, which of course we can, right? But it's also the the process that you're using today is archaic. And that has nothing to do with the technology. That has to do with the fact that things have just always uh, been this way. And there are so many teams involved and um, your customers are used to things being done this way. However, um, most technology doesn't aim to address the fact that you're working with like 17 different teams on a single piece of getting an email out the door. 
most technology doesn't solve for that human element, right? So we have to kind of walk our prospects through the fact that, hey, our solution can fix that problem if you're willing to actually go back to the drawing board and do things a different way entirely. And I think that that sort of explaining, like there actually is a third door option that you hadn't considered because you didn't realize that technology could solve for this. If only you make X, Y, and Z changes to do so. That has really helped us kind of uh, get our foot in the door and sell the vision. So we, again, we are leaning on the fact that we have a product that will solve your key problem, which is like making more money. Everybody wants to make more revenue and there is a faster, better, easier way to do it. But in addition to that, the way we're getting you not to just make an incremental amount more money, but huge sums more revenue is by changing so much about your process entirely in ways that you didn't realize could be solved for. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, even something as simple as like you said, sending an email can involve 17 different people, depending on the size of your org across multiple teams. So when you're having that conversation with the initial, you know, prospective buyer or party that's interested in, you know, partnering with Movable Inc., but then you have to then have the same conversation with all those people across that process. Do you, are you able to have those conversations? Can you go out and do those things and customize that conversation to each of those parties? Like what does the playbook look like for something like that? Yeah, we definitely rely quite heavily on our personas and how we talk about how this will affect different teams. So I would say that our oftentimes our first conversation is with somebody quite high up. Usually we're talking to a CMO or an SVP, like somebody who's really in charge of all of these teams and is the decision maker in the in making such a massive change in process and their tech stack, right? But after they are bought into the vision and they recognize that there's a lot of change management that includes a lot of different teams, they're going to tell us, hey, you need to talk to the data, the data science team. You need to talk to our creative team. You need to talk to our e-commerce team. There are so many different people that we do end up speaking to in this process. And, and I mean, look, it's a long sales cycle. So we are fortunate enough to... Um, have been prepared for that. But it also does mean that, yes, we have to have a lot of different conversations. And also we're having um, very different conversations because there are so many teams involved and they all have different motivations and concerns as well. So while we might talk to the CMO about not about how much time they're going to save by not having to go through so many different teams, when you're actually talking to, to someone on that team, they might be nervous that their job is being stripped away. And we want to reassure them that, no, it's not that we're taking away what you do. You still matter. It's just that now, instead of working on this tactical work or being part of this like archaic process of approval, you can start to think more strategically about the work. And that's the kind of work that you probably prefer doing anyway. So that's usually some version of that talk track is pretty effective for most teams, regardless of what their responsibility is. Um, but it's true. And we just cater to whatever that specific persona is. So of course, it's going to sound different between a creative 
uh, person and a data scientist, but I think the essence is the same. Got it. Got it. And, and in those conversations, are you as a product marketer actively participating in those calls or is it primarily led by a sales team? And then they're coming back to you with a, Hey, this is what we talked about. This is who we're talking to next. How can we best prepare? What does that kind of back and forth look like with the client from a product marketing perspective? Yeah, we spend a lot of time listening to gong calls. Um, you know, we, we do work closely with our sales team and we also actually have a lot of supporting people like an implementation team, um, a solutions consultant team that are all of these people are on our various stages of sales calls and setting our clients up for uh, a pilot. Um, so they're really getting to know the different elements of a, a prospect or client's email program and a lot of the technical details. And all of that is recorded on Gong. So I don't often... Um, get in on the prospect calls because they're already so bloated with so many people on our side. Um, but those people are there for a reason because it takes a lot of work and a lot of conversations to understand the technical requirements of somebody's email program and then to try and set up a, a pilot fairly quickly as well. So for us, we've realized that we don't want to overwhelm them with too many people on the movable ink side However, it is so important to listen to those calls. So I definitely really rely quite a bit on Gong and our sellers are really good about recording those calls too. And that that is no small feat because a lot of a lot of brands do not want those things recorded, but you know, it's um it's great that they're willing to. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for sharing that. And I asked because again, you know, it, speaking personally like in my career, I haven't had to work with too many enterprise level clients um and I'm always fascinated to hear at that level of, of scope of, of a deal and, and the length of the sales cycle, how involved product marketing is and actually getting that deal over the line. Um, I've heard, I've heard mixed things. I've heard some people say like, yeah, we as product marketers, we might not be on the call, but we're like syncing up immediately afterwards to understand what's happening and how we can best equip our, our sales team or coach them through, you know, future conversations. Others I've heard more like, it sounds like you're set up where yes, you're still partnering with those teams, but it's more in a kind of retroactive um, approach, like listening to gone calls and kind of up-leveling coaching for the next sale. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that. I always find that kind of different approach fascinating. Well, I would say during, a lot of times we, you're right, there's a lot of retrospective that happens, but I did forget to mention that oftentimes during a call or in between two calls, um, that's when we would get the most uh, competitive questions. Because of course, being in the AI space, everybody has AI. We have just a ton of partners. We rely on um, email service providers for our, our business. To, we have to partner with ESPs um, for our solution. And a lot of times brands ask, oh, can, my, can I just do this in my ESP? And then I have sellers or... Uh, solution consultant pinging me on Slack saying like, oh, can this can this be done in our ESP? What's the difference? So there's like a lot of fire drill, competitive research and objection handling that happens. Um, but other than that, yeah, I would say more tweaking and positioning our, our messaging and our narrative happens um, after after the fact when we are sort of responding to to the field and to our sellers and what they're hearing. That makes a lot of sense. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. So also in the build-up to our conversation today, you frame this idea of selling through the lens of crawl, walk, run. 
So can you explain what that means and what some of the challenges are in walking through it with prospective buyers at various levels of seniority or across different departments of an org? Sure. Um, Crawlwalk Run is something that like Movable Inc. has been doing forever. And it's it's a it's a pathway to get clients to sophistication because when clients are more are using more of your product and more sophisticated, they get more value and they're stickier. So we definitely want to create an easy pathway for customers to run. But a lot of times, even if customers are ready to sort of jump in with both feet, there's often like a lot of technical dependencies. Um, or somebody wants to like test the value before they dive in too deep. So for us, it's really about like helping them build on their early success and not push them too soon on anything that's like way too complex um, unless we understand that they are internally set up for that. Um, so we really create a plan for every client to set them up with different strategies and tactics that are really the best fit for the client's own goals and, and needs. Um, I would say what's different between Movable Inc. Studio or sort of flagship product where we have been doing that crawl, walk, run thing for over 10 years, what's different at DaVinci is that it's it's sort of twofold. On the one hand, there is no crawl, walk, run because we have to set you up with a pilot immediately and you very much have to jump in with both feet. Like you have to sort of give up some amount of control of your email program so that we can run it and show you those results in a in just a few weeks so that you actually see um, like a pretty first, a pretty significant amount of lift um, before you become like a, a true paying client. So in that sense, we're just jumping into not just run, but like flying. But then at the same time, um, we do offer multiple AI models and, and features that help a client really get a lot more sophisticated on their email, not just content decisioning. So I think I mentioned earlier, we offer like frequency optimization and send time optimization. And those are things that we actually recommend clients hold off on because we want to see, obviously we want to see success with content decisioning first, but we also want to get a certain amount of data, our data, not just client data that they've handed to us. We want to see the data in our own system before we start to build on that with additional AI features. So for us, um, we sort of set up a crawl, walk, run program um, that really is like years in the making, um, but requires like a very, very significant jump right at first in the sort of crawl stage and then um, more incremental ramping up later on. So I would say DaVinci's crawl, walk, run is quite different from Studio's crawl, walk, run. And how do you navigate this kind of tension between having a client get excited about adopting this new solution and wanting to see this results right away against 
like you said, this idea of like, hey, you're just you're just not there yet. Like it's great that you have the enthusiasm, but like you're really going to see the full results if you take the process that we've outlined and take your time with it. Like, how does that conversation play? How do you navigate that from a product marketing perspective? I think um, like when we speak to more senior members of the organization, they are definitely the ones who get really excited about all of the potential that your solution can offer. So we we don't want to tamper that excitement because it's important. Um, but we we want to explain the value in not only collecting like several months worth of data, but the value in seeing our specific tests um, with somebody with a client's email program, so we can tailor our solution specifically to them. Because the truth is, like, yeah, we could we could start you with maybe send time optimization, like pretty soon after you become a client, or we could start it nine months later. But the more data we have, the more testing we have, the more accurate and smoother the process of ramping you up to get that send time optimization is going to be. So starting right away could be exciting, but you're going to see better results later on. So I think it's, it's more about setting expectations and creating a, a specific path and timeline so that people can retain their excitement, but also understand that there's a reason why we want to create this path for you. Like we want to set you up for the best success that you can have on our, our solution. That makes a lot of sense. And are you, are you approaching the conversation around showing measurable impact in the same way? Cause I would imagine again, especially in today's kind of economic climate and the pressure to show results sooner rather than later, you know, you also have to align that excitement to like, okay, when am I actually going to start to see the measurable impact of the solution? Is it a similar conversation you have to have with those expectations setting or uh, do you approach that conversation slightly different? I would say we approach it slightly different only in that for every single client that we have, we are setting them up first with a pilot. And based on that pilot, we are delivering measurable lift. So no matter what, you will see lift before you become a client. When we're talking about some of our more sophisticated um, AI features that we're layering on after content decisioning, um, it's a little bit more up in the air because there's a lot more testing that has to be done with things like send time and frequency versus content decisioning. Um, there's just a lot more, I would say, a lot more factors that go into it. So we have less we that's more of a test and learn approach that we do with the client versus setting the expectations oh you'll see x amount of lift after we add this feature on that makes sense yeah i like that framing of testing and learning together um because i think you're right like obviously the conversations you're having at movable ink with your prospective clients are a lot more uh, specific to their needs and more in depth, but like again, from the uneducated, you know, third party uh, speaking as myself, looking from the outside in, um, I, I think it's it's easy to again see what's spoken about AI out there in the news and on LinkedIn and think like, oh well, I I, I buy the solution and I turn on AI and then there you go, like results and solutions just instantly. 
So, I, you know, I would imagine that throughout the sales cycle, you're, you know, not just waiting for the deal to be signed, but during the pilot and throughout the negotiation, you're coaching them through like, hey, this is how we're going to approach this, not only from a, like you said earlier, a, a, um, a crawl, walk, run perspective, but also from a seeing measurable impact. This is the timeline that's realistic based on what we've seen from other, you know, customers. This is how long it takes us to kind of test and learn together to get the best results. Um, I, I would imagine it makes that kind of more digestible and palatable for someone at the senior level who's expecting to see impact right away. For sure, exactly. Um, I think the the test and learn approach is also effective in that we're really tailoring every single element of it to a, a customer's um, unique email program. So I think that level of of um, working with our team directly on how that solution is going to work for them is really special and unique and makes them feel like, okay, it's going to be worth the wait because we're what we're waiting for is a completely custom approach to our specific problem. And whereas the, the content decisioning part of our program, which is also unique, is just more of a like tried and true way of approaching um, a large enterprise email program. So there's still things that are going to be like tailored with that, but it's something that is uh, a little bit easier to to set up and to see success with. I would say that makes a lot of sense. Well, listen, Erica, that's the end of my questions for today. It's been great getting to chat with you and understand a bit more about what you and the team at Movable Link are doing and how that kind of not, you know, influences your today as a PMM. And as I said at the outset of our conversation, I haven't had the chance to speak with uh, really any PMMs who are as embedded in the world of AI as you are. So I, I appreciate you kind of shedding that light on what it's like. Because um, again, from the outside looking in, it can feel like a very, you know, from one ways very simple, but other ways very opaque and very hard to really understand. So I think you you've done a great job of helping not only myself but listeners see what it's like as a PMM in the world of AI, especially right now, given how you know how much hype there is around it and how many solutions seem to be coming up every day. So so thank you so much for that. Um, before I let you go, I do want to ask you my final question, and that's what would you say is an area of focus in the realm of product marketing? that you think product marketers will have to pay extra attention to this year, more so than in previous years? That's a great question. Um, I think it's not not just this year, but I think in just the future of product marketing is going to be more about face-to-face -face marketing. I think that obviously as AI becomes more and more embedded in all of our jobs, Having the ability to do face-to-face -face marketing and really be like able to sell the product and make these and, and sort of translate like what exactly we're doing to both the market and to customers is just gonna be increasingly rare and valuable. Like so much of this stuff is going to be automated now or AI is gonna do it for you. And I think when there's a chance to have an actual product marketer be in the room and explain something. Um, that's just going to be so much more enticing to people. Um, so I think just having the ability to really have that executive presence and be able to really easily present new features, ask questions, get feedback, that human element is just going to mean so much more. Yeah, I love that answer for so many reasons. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, especially since we've shifted to this, you know, either fully remote or hybrid work environment. 
um, you, while you're still having that face-to-face connection over a Zoom call or, you know, Teams or Meet, whatever you're using, um, you know, having the ability to put a, a face to the work that you're doing and the human element, whether you're selling internally or externally, I think will become a differentiator for a lot of companies, a lot of spaces, um, especially as, as you said, more companies love to automate things or leverage AI to not necessarily remove the human element, but to add some efficiencies to the human element when it comes to either all things product marketing or selling. So uh, I think I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And I appreciate you sharing that perspective. Awesome. Well, Erica, like I said, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on today. If anybody wants to reach out to you after listening to the episode to ask you questions about your role, again, maybe learn some more about the great work that you're doing at Movable Inc. or just AI in general, what would be the best way for them to uh, reach out to you? You can find me on LinkedIn, Erica Davidson Dingman, um, of course, at Movable Inc. Um, or you can shoot me an email. That's Erica Dav Dingman at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sure you'll have someone uh, be following up with you to ask you some questions for uh, and to chat more. Awesome. Well, like I said, Erica, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great getting to chat with you. And uh, I look forward to seeing all the great work you and the team at Movable League are going to be doing over the next year. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to spot to an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.